Now, so I got to tell you, uh, the talking element thing that we that we talk about, it is just like having a conversation because many times you don't even talk about what was in the message. It's like squirrel, and we're running in a different direction. So there you go. It's great. It's great. Um, I have two announcements to start with today with you. First off, number one, uh, our Element Colorado Springs Church plant, they held actually their last Sunday morning service on Easter Sunday this year. Uh, kind of, you, you got you got COVID and a lot of things happen in 2020. Well, in the middle of 2020, you know, COVID hits, and then uh, our lead elder there, a guy named Jonathan, got stationed in the Middle East for six months. And during that whole time, they're like thinking how we're gonna, you know, relaunch this as he comes back. He's got all we got these great ideas. We go out, we have a meeting, and then he gets uh, Space Force. Uh, then he gets restationed to Arizona. And we're like, uh, so we didn't have time to actually bring up another elder that we were comfortable with. So that was the last service that they held. Thank you if you've had them in your prayers this entire time. But I'll tell you some cool things happened is that uh, a lot of people uh, came to trust in Jesus through Alma Colorado Springs. Uh, it, it, they did it in a gospel community model where there were... You know, people who would come together and uh, in in homes, and they're going to try and teach that mindset to go from place to place to place. Now, in in doing that, when they still did their services together, they would have upwards. Uh, they had seventy people who would attend in person throughout the course of that. Uh, Thirty one were regular attenders. Uh, they produced one hundred and two videos that had over fifteen hundred total views. Uh, they collected offerings, and they actually uh, funded um, overseas ventures to South America and Israel. And as the Whitakers head off to the new adventure, I'd ask that you would keep them in your prayers as they do that. Uh, the second thing I've told you about is the church plant that we fund in Thailand that they're doing. Over the past year, they've had 40 new believers come to trust in Jesus, which is amazing in the middle of Thailand. Now, last week, one of those new believers died. And you may think, oh, it's terrible. No, well, they get to go be with Jesus. That, that's amazing. But uh, they requested a Christian funeral, which in, when we're talking about honor and shame stuff last week and this week, that's amazing in that culture that this is like one of the first Christian funerals that has been asked to be done in this entire area. Now, a funeral for them isn't like us. For them, it's three days of feasts and worship and prayer and encouragement from the scriptures with one another. And at first, only a small group of villagers were going to attend this service because there's a lot of resistance from the local Buddhist temple. It's, it's a, essentially a, a Buddhist nation. And so the monks were like going, no, we don't want people to go. After three days of seeing how the Christians loved one another and supported one another in the midst of this, the monks came to talk with the leaders of the church. And they said, hey, this is really cool. Uh, you know, is there a way that we can encourage people to go ahead and come? And they did. And in the end, 300 people came to the funeral. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Why? Because Christians loved one another. Let's get that in America. That'd be awesome, right? <laughs> All right. Uh, if uh, you are new to Element, we actually have Bibles in the room. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you came and you forgot one and you want to use one like an actual hard copy, uh, you can grab one of those. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. I'm saying that really slow because last service I had more events. People are like, I don't even know what he just said. More on events? No. More and then events, and then it will come up by GPS in your smart device. If you're in our local area, if not and you're watching, 93455, type in that zip code, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 
This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, and it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today we ask that you would take us and teach us what it means to be a people who know you and trust you and love you, and that you would lead us as we are an individual nation, that you would lead us in our own consciences, but you would also take us and have us see how we are connected with the larger body as a whole that you have called as your family. And we would see how those things come together and how we love and worship you together as a community. Teach us to be people who glorify you in what we do as we listen to the things that you want to teach us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series called The Greatest Story Ever Retold. We did five weeks of this before that Job journey. Now, after it, we're doing four. This is the second week after the book of Job. And this week and last week are going to go together in hand in hand. If you were here last week, this will hopefully make more sense to you. If you weren't here last week, still okay. This one will stand on its own. When we talk about the greatest story ever retold, it's a way to look at different things in Scripture from a different perspective. We're not trying to retell the gospel like a bunch of heretics or something like like that. What we want to do is expand our ways to see how God teaches and God moves and does things in our lives and in the culture around us so we can have a greater appreciation for who he is. And so last week when we did this, I tried to get you to understand the nature of a communal society, a collective society that Israel was and what the scriptures were written into. Uh, today, uh, we are what is called an individualistic society in America. We see ourselves as individuals. We want to be autonomous from everything around us. Now, like we even get irritated if and when God shows up to try and tell us how to live our lives. Like it would be funny if it wasn't so sad. Uh, but we're like, I love Jesus, except when he wants to tell me how to live my life. Okay, okay. Uh, a great example of the individualness in Western societies is this debate that comes up every once in a while about these things called school uniforms. Uh, now, school uniforms, God forbid, evidence points out that school uniforms reduce violence, uh, reduces bullying in schools, and increases academic performance because there's not so much focus on what you're wearing. Everybody's wearing the same thing. It's on what you're doing. And even intruders that go into a school, they stand out very quickly because they don't look like the rest of the students. Uh, sounds great, but I wouldn't have wanted to wear a school uniform. I like to buy my crazy t-shirts with the weird sayings on them and be like, yeah, have you seen Battlestar Galactica? Or, you know what? I want to show off my individualness. That's what we try and do. And a lot of people say and argue against school uniforms because it stifles our kids' creativity. Uh, one person even says it go against, goes against our First Amendment rights of freedom of speech. I think that's stretching it just a little bit, but whatever. Uh, in America, our own personal values we put above even education. Uh, one of the highest goals in our culture is be true to yourself. And you probably know what I mean because in our culture it's, well, what do you feel like you are? That's what you are. There and no one can question that whatsoever. So what we did last week is I talked about this honor and shame, collectivist community culture that Israel itself was. And whether we see our lives as individual or part of a community, that's also going to affect how we then read the scriptures and interpreted them. Interpret them. So I talked about uh, David and Bathsheba last week. And in America, when we read the story of David and Bathsheba, we think, how could David not know this, this inner sense of guilt for the things that he did of this affair and then killing the husband and 
trying to sweep it under the rug. How could he not sense all of that inside of him? Well, because he's in an honor and shame culture. And there are certain ways that those cultures kind of interacted with the world around them. Uh, uh, Those people in that culture probably would have seen David making all these overtures to Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, being like, hey, I'll pay for my indiscretion. What do you need me to do? And Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to accept any of the things you're throwing at me right now. This was wrong, and I don't like it. And eventually, David has this guy killed. Our, Our sensibilities are horrified by that, and they should be. But people in that area and in that time would have seen, well, David offered all this stuff. That was mostly Uriah's fault for not going along with what David wanted to do and get it swept under the rug and get it taken care of. Now, the scriptures aren't okay with that, okay? So don't think I'm saying that at all. The scriptures were were just horrified in this, and this is why God will step in and do something about it. But David, in his mind, in this culture, makes Uriah a fair offer for his indiscretion. And as I said last week, uh, you know, David is okay with it. The culture ends up being probably okay with it, uh, but God was not. And when we look at it and get really offended by that, we also have to understand some things about our own culture. We support music artists and actors and actresses who do some deplorable things, who sexualize one another, who glorify and drug use, who demean God's image in mankind, and we still support it. We give money to those things. And through all of this, what you see is the only person who seems to take offense to our sin and the things we're doing in our lives is God himself. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 26 and 27 says, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the morning was over, David, over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. That seems like to be the end of the story for everyone in that culture. Okay, it's done and over with. It's swept under the rug. Now we're okay. Life's going to go on. But then you read this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And that word displeased there, it means shaking with anger and sadness, most likely both. God was not pleased no matter how everybody else felt about it. And it sounds like a very good commentary on our culture today. Many of the things that we say are okay, God I don't think is okay with it. And what God does is he uses David's honor and shame culture to bring David back to himself, to bring him to a place of repentance. God uses that in his life to bring him back around. David's culture had no way to bring that up again, So God put prophets into his culture to be those who say, no, you want to sweep it away. We're not going to sweep it away. We're going to talk about this. Uh, During the summer, we're going to do this series called The Miners, all about the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And you're going to see how they keep bringing these things up that Israel wants to hide. But that's what the prophets would do. And so this prophet named Nathan goes to David. And instead of God speaking to David's conscience with this nice little whisper, God shouts in David's face, through the prophet Nathan. Uh, Brandon O'Brien writes this, Since David's culture used shame to bring about conformity, God used shame to bring David to repentance. Why? Because God loves us, and God is good, and God wants to draw us back to himself. Uh, When we talk about this idea of collectivist or community-minded cultures, you cannot think communistic. That's that's not what that is in America. Whenever we hear collectivist, or we start to think communistic. That's not what it is. It's not politics. Uh, our individual view, we have to be careful because sometimes that will stifle the ability for us to share the gospel because we think everybody around us is just like us. We think everybody has to do church services just like us, and it stifles us from properly sharing the gospel. So we have to understand 
how the scriptures were written and what God calls us into. I'll give you a good example of this. Uh, in Japan, uh, there were missionaries going to Japan for a couple hundred years, and the first hundred that they had no converts whatsoever because they kept trying to convert an individual, a man or a woman. They never thought about the, the family around them or even the people who have died before them. Uh, Father Valente talks about this, and, he, and he's talking to a Japanese man about faith, and this guy says this, I believe the Christian teachings are good, but I would be betraying my ancestors if I went to a paradise where they cannot dwell. Do you see the different mindset? I mean, I mean, we're like, it's sad that my family can't be there, but I'm going to party. It's okay. You know, but they, they think about their ancestors this way. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 if you have one. Israel was this type of community, collectivist-minded culture. And this, and Jesus teaches into this culture. When you read the scriptures, this is the culture that you have to understand it was written into. Uh, Jesus will say things like Matthew 15, 24, that he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That's plural. He doesn't say, I was sent for the Phillips and the Peters and the Bartholomews and the Nathaniels. And he is sent for them, but it's this whole idea of the lost sheep. We call ourselves children of God, but we think about it more of, I am a child of God. And when you read in the scripture, it is the plural. We are children of God as a family together. In in a collectivist, community-minded culture, distinction doesn't come from how you distinguish yourself from everybody else around you, but how you faithfully fulfill your place in that community. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you read that with a community approach, it has a totally different feel because people in a westernized mindset in America say, oh, Look, that's about uh, taking away people's private property rights. It's about communism. It is not about communism at all. This is about a people who saw one another as community. It's simply how they lived. It's not a political statement. It's this communal blessing of one another. No one forced them to give up their property. They wanted to help one another. It's just how they lived. Uh, In this book that I was talking about last week and a lot of this stuff this week, it's called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Uh, Randolph Richards writes about how he was in Indonesia. And Indonesia Christians are blown away with how we treat kids and dating in the United States of America. Like in Indonesia, in a lot of places, they still have these things called arranged marriages. That's where a couple parents get together and they decide their kids are going to get together. We see it as cruel. Like we see it as the 80-year-old guy that weighs a thousand pounds marrying the six-year-old girl. That is not how it works. And in Christian communities, in Christian communities, they still kind of do this together. Now, the Indonesians asked Richard, is it true that American teenagers who like each other go out by themselves at night? He says, yes, we call that dating. And they say, you Americans are amazing. If our kids did that, someone would get pregnant. Usually the girl, right? That's how that works. And he is like, yes, American American kids are the model of (laughs) self-restraint. Indonesians see it as unfair to leave teenagers or young adults in a situation where willpower is all that they have. Uh, Sodium and chloride makes salt, okay? Uh, Whose fault is it that salt gets made when they come together? Is it the sodium or the chlorides? It's both, exactly. And people, when you're young and in love, the more you feel you like you like someone, the less restraint you have. And the Indonesians see it as the Christian community's job to protect the individuals because they are a community. They even said this, what is the community for if not to protect one another? It's a very, 
I think, kind of a cool way to, to see some of this. Now, think about this. As much as we look and we would see a collectivist community society like that stifling, they see us the same way. Uh, conformity in a collectivist culture is seen as a virtue. We see it as a vice. Uh, conforming for us is immaturity, but for them it's a sign of maturity in the heights of loving one another. And with that in mind, I want to walk through a couple things in the scriptures with you this morning to hopefully get to a point to show how we then are meant to live with one another. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is Jesus' birth. And when we think about the birth of Jesus, we think, oh, that's Mar- amazing, Joseph and Mary, and they go to Bethlehem and they have a baby, fulfillment of all testament prophecy that's so great but you got to think why would a man drag his pregnant wife across the country for this census the romans didn't expect everybody to have to go to the census it could have been just the head of the family to go and and sign everybody it would have been okay the romans didn't expect pregnant women to walk across the country so why well there's a couple things going on uh first off uh it's festival time it's festival time and this is why all the rooms are taken up in the city the festival would have been held in jerusalem but uh bethlehem's like this kitschy suburb on the outside of Jerusalem. So here's a picture of my wife and I. We're in Jerusalem right here, okay? And so right behind you, see that hill? So here's a better picture of that hill behind us. Right on top of that hill, that's Bethlehem. It is literally right across the valley. So if all the rooms get taken up there, where are they going to go? Right to the suburb and start. So all the rooms are taken up because of this festival. Now, Mary and Joseph can both trace their ancestry to King David. So they go to Bethlehem in order to register. And when they get there, there's no room in the inns, right? So they have to find another place to stay. Well, you have to understand one of the reasons that Mary would have gone and done all this is that your birthing crew isn't at the hospital. There were no hospitals at this time. Hospitals came about later that Christians made hospitals. Uh, And so what your birthing crew, that's your family. And so when we think of the birth of Jesus, you know, we got our little nativity sets, which are all nice and great. And it's like, Mary, Joseph, baby, you got some shepherds. If you're not historically accurate, you got the wise men. They weren't there. Uh, you got, a, you got uh, maybe an angel hanging on top of that, you know, barn door going oh, like this. But really, that wasn't just it. A whole family would have been there to help give birth to Jesus. And this is also why some people, I think, had a hard time believing in him later because he was born in the usual way. The second thing now that comes with this, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus grows up and Jesus starts to teach, Jesus teaches in this community-minded culture. You have to understand how these things are written. So we sing songs like, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. It's no Christian song. You may not have heard it. But the first verse says, though none go with me, still I will follow. Now, isolation to Americans, we don't like it. COVID has proved that. Uh, But we really don't mind it so much if we're pushing for something we think is right. Uh, We don't mind rejection if we're doing the right thing in the midst of it. Rejection for us is a badge of honor. Uh, And in this culture, though, what you have to understand is not that you wanted to be rejected, but you wanted to see what the community was doing around you. In Jesus' day, conversion to following him, that's a big deal. It was not a solitary thing you did as an individual. It would have taken the community of at least your family in mind before you did it. And this is why one of Jesus' most difficult teachings, Matthew 10, 37, says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is why people found it hard to follow. 
because you're not supposed to love anyone more than family. Part of loving family is part of loving God. Jesus will even say this in a very Jewish way that everybody takes out of context today. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 says, if, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, hate doesn't mean the same thing that we think when we read this, but I know teenagers are like, yep, hate my parents, got it. I must be really godly. That's not what it means. Uh, hate has the connotation here in relation to. You'll see God say something like, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. It's not that he hated Esau. It's the idea of firstborn blessing and in relation to. It's how it was spoken. The firstborn son carries on your family name. The firstborn son takes care of you when you're old. Uh, the firstborn son gets a double portion of the inheritance. And what that means is the firstborn son is love. That's what it meant. During Jesus' public ministry, his family will even show up and be like, we're gonna, we got to take him. He's crazy. Uh, we don't know what's going on. And Jesus essentially ignores his family, which also probably made people not want to follow Jesus because he ignored his family. And that sometimes can be translated as being shameful. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Third thing in this, so Jesus teaches, uh, eventually, uh, you know, dies, rises from the grave. He saves this guy named Paul, uh, and the apostle Paul will go out teaching in all these different places. At one point, uh, Paul will be uh, in the city talking about the gospel. He gets beat up by a mob. They take him and throw him in jail with shackles in the deepest part of the prison. They shut the doors. Middle of the night, this earthquake takes place. All the cell doors open. All the chains fall off all the prisoners. The jailer comes running in, and he's like, oh, my goodness, all the prisoners escaped. I'm going to kill myself before Rome gets a hold of me. And Paul's like, whoa, whoa, still here. Didn't run out. Still here. Acts 16, verse, starting in verse 30, says, Then he, that's the jailer, brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So he's there by himself. What, what do I do? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and what? You and your household. And your household. Then Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and everyone in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And without delay, he and all his household were baptized. Then he brought them into his home and set a meal before them. So he and all his household rejoiced that they had come to believe in God. Now, we see this story as Paul and Silas having to go to every single person in the house, you know, convince them of all the proofs of Jesus' death and resurrection and, and what that looks like. But really, it's the jailer going, this is what happened. I believe we're all going to follow. Everybody gets baptized. And we see this as, you know, not the kids. It would just be adults. It would be everybody in the house got baptized together. Uh, go back to Acts 16, 14, just a few verses before this. Uh, Paul was speaking to a woman named Lydia. It says, Among those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. This means she was Greek. Uh, she's called a God-fearer. She believed in whose Israel's God was and is. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So now she believes in Jesus. Verse 15. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. It's the idea when one responded, they all responded. That's how the community saw things. Paul likens the church to a family. What he does is he speaks about younger men as, as his sons. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, how does he tell them to interact with one another? He says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. It's all about family terms because that is how these people which is how we are supposed to see the family of God coming together. 
There used to be this old joke. When uh, your family was crazy, you would say, well, you can't choose your family, which is, which is totally true. But you can choose the church you that, will, that you will be a part of. And sometimes the individualness in our society causes people to be like, oh, I guess I'll be a part of that church, but I don't want to be that much of a part of it. I think I'll hang back. There was a study that I saw two weeks ago that said 40% of people who would call themselves evangelical, not in a political sense, but I believe in Jesus, I believe he died worse than the grave, uh, the scriptures are the word of God. 40% of those people didn't even attend church once in the previous year. That's because of the individualness of American society. If you go back, you know, like 1800s and before, churches were meant to be seen as a family coming alongside one another. It's one of the reasons a lot of churches in ancient times, they would do baptisms of infants. It wasn't always for salvation. It was this idea that you were taking and baptizing those infants into the family of God. Now, at Element, we don't do infant baptisms or or baby baptisms because we believe in immersion under the water. And if we did that, that'd be called child abuse. So we don't do that. Uh, But what we do is a thing called baby dedications. And as baby dedications, we take parents and kids and we stand up here and we as a church stand and we say, we will live our lives in front of this child in a way that they know how to interact with the community, how they go through hardship, they will understand the gospel by how we live. And if we don't see a church as a family, what will then start to happen is you'll get irritated at someone or something or misunderstand something I said or understand something I said, you just didn't like it. And then people leave. And yet you made those commitments to those little ones to help raise them. And all of a sudden we leave, and where does that go? This is one of the bad things that can come about because of an individualist society. And I'm not saying a church is like a cult. You drink the Kool-Aid, you can never leave. I mean, there's something really terrible, yes. You, you do that. You, you stand up for righteousness. But we, uh, the way the scriptures are written is that we need to see the church as a family. That we come alongside one another because it's how they were written. It's how we're meant to even understand them. From beginning to end, the scriptures teach us that God relates to us like a family. So this goes to my fourth thing. You even look at our main understanding of what redemption is. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. When you talk about the Exodus, you see the understanding of redemption and salvation and restoration of what God does to an entire people, not just individuals. Exodus 3, 7, 8 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the the Egyptians. Everything is spoken of in plural. Did everybody cry out? Well, probably not. But God says, I have heard their cry. He brings these people to himself. He calls them his bride. He calls them his children collectively. When we become followers of Christ, the church is called the bride of Christ. We are called children of God. Well, what about people in ancient times before Jesus came who still believed in God? Well, what about them? Were they part of the family? Uh, Isaiah 63 verse 16 says, For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from old is your name. This is the understanding of how the people saw God. He is our Father. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go back to the New Testament. Uh, everything spoken about takes place in terms of community, and it's important to understand that it. it's not individual. Now, God does call individuals. God does use individuals, but it's always to bring people back into this idea of family and community. Uh, God saves each of us with his grace and his mercy, but he places us in his family. First Corinthians 12, verse 13, Paul will say, 
For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. That is the idea that God takes us and immerses us into the family of God. And this is why when earlier churches used to baptize infants, it was taking them and placing them into the family of the church, into the family. It symbolized what that is supposed to look like. Uh, this is why people like John, John Piper call adoption the heart of the gospel. It is God bringing us into his family where we are all connected. Our modern word adoption comes from this mid-14th century word that means to choose for oneself. Like you don't get to choose your crazy family, but God got to choose. And God chose us, which is simply amazing. Romans 8, 14 to 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. John Piper writes this, The deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is located not in the act of humans adopting humans, but in God adopting humans humans, that we are part of his family. Now, if you're still in 1 Corinthians 12, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I want to just briefly talk about how this then affects us and how we're supposed to live. See, last week you got all the cool story. This week is going to be the practicalness of it. What do we do with this? Okay, so all the gospel centers around that community-minded mindset. So in the Corinthian church, they were engaging together, and they came up with a lot of different issues. And if you think Element has issues, we can just compare ourselves to them, and we're great, okay, because the Corinthians were just messed up. Uh, so what happened in one of the places that really stands out is you would have some people show up for communion. Now, communion for them wasn't like us, where you have these little sealed containers <laughs> of a cracker that probably sticks to the roof of your mouth, you can't get it out, and this grape juice. Uh, it, was, it was a meal that you would do. And some people would show up, and they'd grab all the best food and all the best wine and go sit in the corner and get loaded. It was, it was, not, it was not a good thing. So it's not how God's people were meant to function. So how does Paul deal with this? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting verse 20, Paul says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Now this goes on for a bit in there. But Paul doesn't just say how the sin of how they're treating one another is just individual. He calls them all out for them, all allowing it to happen, whether it was the people who did it or the people who allowed it. He doesn't see the sin as just individual. It's part of God's community's honor. And because it's part of God's community's honor, it's part of God's honor that we are all a part of. Most slaves in this culture, uh, it's not like slavery in America. Uh, It wasn't racial. They didn't get free till about 5 p.m. But the people who had more money in the church were free all day, so they would show up and they would pregame it before everybody else showed up. And so they get all the best food and all the best booze, and everyone should be like, what happened to all the food? Those people over there, oh, look at that. But Paul will go on to say that everyone was culpable because they allowed it. And there were these divisions that were striking at the heart of Christian community. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that you're all baptized by one spirit into one body. He will say in the book of Galatians, there's no Jew or free. There's no uh, or Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one. There, there's no hierarchy in the church. You are one body. And that means you come alongside one another and you speak to one another as if they are family. See, sin is corporate. It infects the entire body. So Paul calls them all out. 
Uh, I have had people at Element say, hey, I see this issue. And I'm like, great, well, let's sit down and talk about it. Because I think it's great for people in the body when they see things for us to sit down and talk through certain things. Because we are an individualist culture, we see each person's sins as their own. And yes, everybody is responsible in their own life. But it's not just that simple in the scriptures. Because we are one family, even if we think of ourselves as innocent, if we fail to lift one another up, we become culpable in that because we're supposed to lift one another up. We are one family who live in God's name. And it's hard to grasp that in American society. I mean, I do. I sit here and I say, look, I'm not responsible for that guy's taste in country music. And I say that, no. <laughs> but no, we look at other people and we say, I'm not responsible for that guy's this or this person's that. But in one sense, we are if we are family. We're meant to come alongside one another and love in a way that restores people to who God is. And this is why Element tends to spend a lot of our time and resources trying to connect you guys in community. Um, because of COVID and all this stuff that's kind of happened in the last year, we're looking at ways to revamp our gospel communities in, in the next few months. And so keep that in mind as we kind of jungle, uh, jubble, jungle, jubble, jungle, juggle, juggle. That's a word. Okay, uh, some things as we, I, I don't know, I, whatever. We're kind of, you know, put these things back together again before we do stuff. But we're trying to think of ways to make them function better, especially in a world where what if this happens again? There's another pandemic and everybody freaks out. What, what do we do? Well, we want to find ways to make them function better. So we're walking through some of that stuff. But it's really what uh, Element Colorado Springs focuses itself on to start. Gospel communities. In, in Romans 8, when Paul says, you receive, you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the one of the most intimate words for dad in the scriptures. It's, it's uh, the first sounds a baby would make would be Abba, Abba, Abba. And so Abba. And Paul connects that with the word Father. It has the far-reaching implications that we are God's children. We are his family. God is the Father who oversees us as his people. We live together under his banner. We have his family name. When Jesus teaches us as a people, as a, as a model for prayer, how does he say you start? Our Father. Our Father. It's an understanding of who we are and who God is. And yes, we can bring dishonor on God's name collectively and individually. But when Jesus starts with that, our Father, it's you got to look at it as a good dad. And God's disposition towards us is one of favor and grace and blessing. And what does God want to do? He wants to bring his people together under his banner as his family so we would live as family. And that is how the scriptures are actually written. And when Jesus says this is how you pray, you got to understand this is groundbreaking in the ideas of communication with God. But it also helps us to understand that we can speak to one another very honestly in places where we have brought dishonor. And we don't have to spend our time focusing on people's failures. What we get to focus on is that God's grace has brought us into his family. In God's spirit, we all, as a family together, get to cry out, Our Father. His spirit rescues us. It redefines who we are. He brings us in. And what that means is that relationship is meant to shape our lives much more than our family's lives have ever shaped us. Who God is and who we are meant to be. It shapes us to be like him. And that then will redirect how we not only interact with our families of origin, but also our church family. Guys, our God is pleasurably disposed towards us as our Father. And nowhere in all religious history has God ever been described and as brilliantly, as cleanly as Jesus lays out there. And it all comes down to with and whom we are united. 
We are united with God himself through Christ. That means we are united with one another. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus comes, he dies, he rises from the grave, takes away our sin, joins us into his family, and we get wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We get to be part of his family. The beauty of what the gospel brings about is that God makes us one. And again, it's very hard for us in America to understand what that actually means at times. But I will tell you, if you are lost, alone, you feel broken, you feel separated, you got to understand that God wanted you. And not only did he just want you for yourself, he wanted to place you in his family of people. That means we get to be a part of something that is so much bigger and so much greater than we are. This is why Jesus comes, is born, dies, rises from the grave to make these things a reality. And when we understand better who God is, how he called us into his family, it's going to change how we see everything around us. It's going to change how we interact with one another. It's going to change how we read the scriptures. I think it's going to make the scriptures make much more sense to us as we go through them because it was in this community mindset. God, yes, saves us individually, but he doesn't just leave us saved as individuals. God brings us in to himself and places us within his family. That's how we were supposed to function and supposed to live. And a lot of times we want to chafe against that and push back against that. But we can't. We must be people who start to learn to understand what that actually looks like. And in so doing, we will begin to live the life that God calls us to, living in Him. And again, this all comes about because of the gospel. It's one of the reasons we go to communion every week. It's a place to take ourselves and reset our minds to what God is calling us towards. And that's why you take the cracker that's in there and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it or drink the, the grape juice as a reminder that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed. And part of that was the result of bringing us into his family again. That we are not alone. We are not left on our own. That God loved us and wanted us as a people, a plural. When I say God wanted you, I could say you as in plural all of you, because God loves us. Now, I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as we go through just a couple songs, I want you to think about that. Maybe, maybe just take a, a moment in the ways that we try to separate ourselves from one another. Think how we're not responsible for anybody else around us in, in certain ways and how we're always trying to just be our own thing. And what if we started to think about it more in the sense of how do we come together as a people to honor God better as a community? to step alongside one another as a community. I mean, not, not in a weird cult-like way where it's like you're not wearing your white tennis shoes and your, and your tinfoil hat today. You know, not like that, but in a way that we would love one another enough to be like, hey, I see this going on in your life. How, how can I love you through this? How can we walk together in this thing? How can we honor God together? How can we be a people who speak of the joy and the goodness and the grace of who God is in all that we go through? Hey, I know COVID's been hard for, for the last year. How can I help you wherever you are, whether you're still stuck in your home or now you're coming out, but you know, you're like the prairie dog looking out the hole going, what, what do I do? You know, how do we come alongside one another and love one another enough to bring one another back into this idea of what family is? And so maybe just take a few moments as, you know, kind of go through these songs and kind of think about that. Uh, feel free to come and take communion. If you need prayer, uh, head back to the Welcome Center. Talk to Sarah. We'll connect with somebody to pray with you this morning. You know, maybe you do feel like you're all alone and you're not connecting anybody and you want to connect better. Well, we would love to be able to do that for you and pray with you as well. Uh, there's offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is just part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's always meant to be a response to what God has done. 
And I would also encourage you maybe this week to take some of those sermon notes, those questions that are in there, and talk to one another about those questions, you know, about connecting and what that looks like and, and seeing the scriptures in this community mindset. Because I think the more that we do that, the more we'll be able to come alongside one another and treat and love and live with one another as if we are really family, because that's what we are. And guys, there, there's a reason why the church worldwide is meant to be God's family. We are meant to come alongside one another and understand how good God is. And so when you, I'm really looking forward to hopefully when COVID gets a little bit better and we can even offer you guys a trip so that you can go see the people in Thailand and that church plant that we're doing because you'll see the total difference in our culture versus theirs, but we are all God's family coming together. And it's just this beautiful thing. And hopefully, if you get a chance to, that you can be like, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're so different, and yet we love the same God, and I'm so glad I don't live there, because it's like 90 degrees in the middle of the winter, and 90% humidity, you know, but, but, we, but we love the same God. It's just this joy we get from coming together and understanding who God is. Let's be a people who live out that understanding of being God's community because of the grace and the goodness of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning. I ask that uh, you would have us begin to understand the great joy that it is that we get to say our Father, that I get to start a prayer with Father, that you have called us your children. Yes, individually, but then you take us into your family. I ask that you begin to teach us to see those around us as our brothers and sisters, that there'd be this familial aspect to our lives of how we begin to love one another. That when we sing songs of your great rescue of us, we would also see that as the corporate understanding of how you love us as a people. And then steer us to be those who have less anger for those who disagree with us in certain places or ways. That we would offer more grace as you offer us more grace. That we would again love because you have first loved us. And we would move to a place of humbleness as we live as a family with one another, lifting you up, lifting one another up, and honoring who you are in our lives. God, I thank you for not saving us and leaving us as lone little islands in the world, but saving us and placing us within your family. And I ask that you would just open our minds to understand that your goodness spoken over us, the hope that we have because of your kindness and how we get to come alongside one another because of your great love for us. Teach us to live in, the, in that love. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.